you would, turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 9. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's okay. You can use the Pew Bible there. It's page 929 in the Black Pew Bible. Page 929, it's Mark chapter 9. I, I really enjoy being a dad. Basketball season just ended and baseball season's already started. And I, I really can't tell you enough how much I enjoy just doing that and just playing with them and seeing them enjoy it. So many aspects like playing together that make parenting so much fun. There's also a side to parenting that is not as enjoyable. The struggle, the hardship, the discipline, the training, the rebukes. But those got to be there, don't they? They have to be there. Sadly, a lot of times we just neglect it. But we've been proven time and time again that it's for it's for it's bad for our children when we are not helping them see their errors and see what's wrong. And I wanted Joe to do that song that we just did because our Father in Heaven is a good, good Father. He loves us. He would never, never tell us something that was bad for us. He wouldn't. Every move He makes is for our good. He's a good, good Father. Even when he tells us to stop, even when he tells us no, even when he tells us we're wrong. If we take issue with that, then we must understand that our problem is with us, not with our good father. Can you imagine me telling, you know, bedtime is really like nine o'clock and because I'm lazy, we've already extended it to 10. And the ball game's only got four minutes left, so we'll now wait till the ball game's over. And they're going on who knows what hour of Xbox. And finally, it's late enough, and I say, it's time to go to bed. And they start arguing back for whatever reason still right for me to say, no, it's time to go to bed, right? Everybody in here gets that. We're way past bedtime. You played more than you should. You, you got more than we bargained for. Every reason points to, yes, it's time to go to bed. And so, putting your foot down, insisting upon it, asserting it, even to the point of me having to be forceful and them having to f- argue back, Still wrong. And dad's still right. And a simple illustration like bedtime doesn't cause too much controversy. Unless you've got little kids at home, you know how controversial that can be. 
But you get my point. We have to come to God hearing Him talk about what is bad for us, wrong for us. We have to believe what He says about sin and hear His warnings. Today's passage in Mark chapter 9 is one of those. And it is very heavy. So I'm glad you're here. Let's read from Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 42 to the end of the chapter. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die. And the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. I want to make two real points today. And then end with the third point of the graciousness of God in Christ to forgive us of all our sins. My first two points are sin is serious and sin is wrong. Sin is serious and sin is wrong. I've told you all many times that reading the Bible can be hard and there are places that are hard to understand, but there are also many that are not. Today's passage is another. You know what this passage says before we get here. God says that sin is wrong, and God means it when he says it, and he makes great illustrations to waken us up to that reality. Jesus is talking here with a great seriousness. In a culture that doesn't like to get serious, where we might say, hey, why, why so serious is a question that we might say to somebody whenever they, they get serious. We don't really like to get serious, and almost, uh, we almost never do, and anytime somebody actually does, we kind of scoff at it, like, why are you being so serious? You know, chill out, you know, is how we act. And in our passage today, I can't imagine anybody anywhere being more serious than Jesus is right now. This matters to him deeply. He begins by saying that if anybody causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, at first glance you would just naturally think that he's talking about about children. And the Bible does teach that. And in other places in the Bible, he's talking about children. Folks, there is a great warning for us to cause children to not believe in Jesus. I mean a serious, serious warning. 
And I'm not talking about somebody who might go to a child and say, hey, hey, God's not real, and, and Jesus isn't true, and, and sin's not bad. I'm not talking about that. I mean, that's obvious that that is what God's talking about. But God talks about any example of us leading children the wrong way. God's talking about us not being committed to church, and so your kids grow accustomed to not committing to church. just read an article yesterday that said, when parents skip church, it doesn't hurt the parent as bad as it hurts the child. I'm talking about something like this, a, a, a preacher like me, a Baptist preacher with, with five kids. You know how dangerous that is? You know what the statistics would show about what it's like to grow up in a, in a Southern Baptist church, a First Baptist church with your dad being a preacher? You know how many of y'all have heard of preacher's kids that have gone the wrong direction once they had the freedom to? I'm talking about any type of life or, or living that causes children to not hope in the good, good father. And Jesus has these strongest warnings. Now in this passage here, I don't exactly think he's talking about children. I think he's going back to the passages before and he's just referring to somebody who is a humble believer. When he says little ones here, uh, it certainly includes children, but he's really talking about one that's really like a, an insignificant person that is trusting in Jesus. Anybody who is trying to go against God and his kingdom. Remember he had just said that great quote from last week that, um, what was it? The one who is not against us is for us. Jesus speaking back to anybody, whether directly or indirectly, deliberately or not deliberately, who is causing people to not look to God and trust in Christ is wrong. They are against God Almighty. And sometimes, again, we do this directly by trying to convince people that, that God's not true or that the church is bad or the Bible's not real or anything like that. But oftentimes we do it just from being hypocritical, from being lazy, from being judgmental. There are lots of things that push people away. In church, we need to hear a very serious warning. Listen to this, and I, I dare say that maybe the children need to close their ears. Here's what Jesus says. It would be better for those people, those stumbling blocks, those, those roadblocks, it would be better for those people if there was a great millstone hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Why in the world is he talking this way? A millstone is this big, giant, heavy stone that, that men cannot even move. It had to be moved by beasts. And it was, it was used to, to spin and grind grain and, and things with. But they had to use an animal that they would hook to it, that they would get it to circle around. And it was so big and heavy that people couldn't move it. You get the point, right? You tie one of those around your neck, and then you go jump into the ocean. You know where you're going to end up. This is harsh. This is severe. And this is our Lord Jesus suggesting it. He doesn't want that to happen. But it'd be better for that to happen than for you to get in the way of the mercy and love of God for people. That's serious. It's so serious. The point is not to think, well, man, Jesus is being too harsh. The point is not to think, well, he's gone overboard. The point is to get his point that sin is a problem, that sin is serious. And from there, Jesus takes off and runs with it with passages that you've heard before. Verse 43, if your hand is causing you to sin, I can think of several ways. Maybe you point the finger a lot at people. Maybe you're a thief, and every time you walk over here in the gas station, you realize that it's easy as can be to pick up a little 25-cent pack of gum and slip it into your pocket and walk out, because we know people do it all the time. Maybe it's just your hands, and they're, they're getting in the way. 
Right? Maybe your hands are always touching people. If you've got a problem with your hands, and your hands are causing you to sin, Jesus says, cut your hand off. Now, in case anybody misunderstand or take me or Jesus too literally, He doesn't want you to cut your hand off. He wants you to hear the warning. Look what He says. It'd be better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands go to hell, the unquenchable fire. Then He says the foot. Not really sure how you sin with your feet, but maybe so. Your feet take you places. Wouldn't you admit here before that you've been somewhere you wish you hadn't gone? I remember one time I had a young man come to me and he was confessing that he had messed up again and he had gone to a lady's house and he knew he should not have and such and such happened. And I remember saying to him, if you had not gone there, it wouldn't have happened. And I remember him saying to me, if I had not gone there, it wouldn't have happened. Our feet take us places. Maybe our feet can sin in in other ways, but Jesus says if your feet are your problem, then cut them off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. Then he goes to the eye, and you know that our eyes cause us problems. What we look at. And I don't just mean looking at bad things like people who cannot stop looking at naked people and cannot stop looking at porn and that sort of thing. It's so addicting. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about perhaps we've watched too much ball and March Madness starts today with the Selection Sunday and we're going to be watching even more. But perhaps we're watching too much TV. Right? Perhaps we're looking at too many people. Perhaps we've looked at Facebook too much and now we're comparing ourselves so much to what everybody else is doing that it's messing us up. And perhaps we're struggling with anxiety because we've looked and compared ourselves to everybody else. Perhaps it's our eyes that are the problem. And Jesus says if your eyes are causing you to sin, tear them out. It would be better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Why so serious, Jesus? Sin is serious. And one of the obvious applications here today is that, you know, there are many people who just do not believe this. There are many people who just do not agree. There are many people who will just gloss right over this and act like it's not a big deal. And I hope and I pray. I've been hoping and I've been praying. I've been praying all week. I've been telling y'all that this passage was coming for several weeks now that that is not you. Sin is serious. A millstone around the neck, thrown into the ocean, cut off your hand, cut off your foot, pluck out your eye. It is serious. Those are serious conversations. I've told you all before how I was little. I said a bad word one time and mom drug me inside and pulled out a bar of soap and made me eat soap. That's a pretty serious reaction to soap. I mean, that's a pretty serious reaction to to foul language with a pretty harsh response. But it worked. I've never forgotten. I keep bringing it up to you all, right? When you treat sin seriously, you deal with it rightly, you get the point. This is what Jesus is trying to do here. 
It sounds to me like this is something Jesus shouldn't even be talking about. Many of you all, if you don't believe the Word of God, are thinking that that's too much. That's, that's too heavy. That's over the top. That's overboard. Why so serious? Jesus makes a short step, listen to me, from a sin with your hand or a sin with your eye or a sin with your, hook, with your foot and starts talking about you going to hell from it. You can't get more serious than that. It's common these days to hear somebody say, well, it's not like I'm going to hell for it, isn't it? And while our answer, because socially it gets a little awkward, somebody brings up hell when they're being serious, is to say, well, maybe not. I mean, it's not going to send you to hell for it, you know. On second glance, maybe, maybe it would. The wages of sin is death. And without Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, hell is there. Three times Jesus says, then that you go to hell, the unquenchable fire. That you be thrown into hell and not enter into life. That you be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus, I don't know when, listen to me, I don't know when or where in your life Hell is acceptable to be talked about? I'm not sure. I know that at funerals we never, ever mention hell. It'd be too painful, I think. And I don't know where you're allowed to talk about hell at, but it needs to be somewhere. Jesus is all about it here in this short little passage, and and he's not talking about big, huge, heavy life situations. He's not talking about somebody who's just committed mass murder against somebody and somebody else is screaming out, go to hell to them. That's not the situation. He's talking about you sinning with your hand or sinning with your eye or sinning with your foot. That's what he's talking about. So serious. R.C. Sproul helps us understand hell. He says, New Testament teaching about hell is meant to appall us and fill us with horror. Persuading us that though heaven will be better than we could dream, so hell will be worse than we can imagine. These are the issues of eternity that must be realistically faced. He goes on to say that according to Scripture, hell is unending. It never stops. He says this, those in hell will realize they have sentenced themselves to be there. Because they have loved darkness rather than light. Refusing to have their creator as their Lord. They preferred the self-indulgence of sin to self-denying righteousness. Rejecting the God that made them. Hell's a real place. And it's serious. And people will go there. Did you know that the Bible says, Jesus says... Many people will go there. Did you know that the Bible says, Jesus says, only few will not go there? Man, it's serious, isn't it? I know your tendency is to think, well, they're good old folks. I mean, they're surely going to heaven. No, Jesus says many will go to hell and few 
will not go to hell. It's serious. It's very serious. I remember a few years ago, I don't remember which child it was. But we were outside on a good spring filling day and playing in the yard, throwing football or frisbee or something like that. And without us noticing, one of our little toddlers had wandered away. And we didn't know where, I don't remember which one it was, he or she was. And before we knew it, they were out in the street. And on our road, cars fly up and down the road. And so when Val finally saw our little kid out in the middle of the street, she jumped up, she went over there, and she, she scalded them. I know y'all really can't picture Val getting too upset at these kids, but believe me, when she starts speaking Spanish, <laughs> and they deserve it, she can put them in their place. And she did, rightly. Scalded them over it. And so now with our kids, anytime they're near the edge of the street, we make them stop and do what? Look both ways. The other day, Noah, who's six and in kindergarten, asked me to go check the mail, and he just bolted right to the mailbox. And I stopped him, and I said, Noah, you didn't stop and look both ways. He said there was nothing coming. I said, well... I want you to stop and look both ways. Much ado about nothing, right? Maybe not. For what would happen if the toddler or the six-year-old just happened once in a million to bolt out in the road at the time a car was coming? Why so serious? Why so heavy? Why the discipline? Why the scolding? Because, folks, it's serious. We can't afford them to not know the danger. The danger. And see, this is the thing about sin. It's serious. And sometimes you and I don't see how the consequences are bad. And so, unless we're close to the Word, we forget the seriousness. And we kind of fall back into this. We start trying to gauge. We know it's sin according to God, but we start gauging whether it's really that bad on what the consequences are. Folks, you don't know what's happening inside your heart when, you're t- when the Bible talks time and time again about our hearts get hardened and our hearts get softened. You don't know how the devil is working. You don't know how your heart is working when it's getting hardened. You're not, you're not God. You're not familiar with that as well as God is. When you start trying to be God and determine whether it's bad for you or not, or whether you're okay with it or not, it's unbelievable how much we'll flirt with laziness and flirt with neglect of Bible or neglect with preaching. It's unbelievable how much we'll flirt with being a foul mouth or being a gossip or, or flirt with our spending. Some of us will spend, 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 spend. We'll be right there on the border being out of control, controlled by materialism, uh, on the border of debt, on the border of never being a giver, not giving to your church, not giving to the poor. We'll flirt with these things. And in our mind, instead of going by what God says, we, we try to make the decision on whether we're doing right or not. 
Let's don't get started on the dangers of, of alcohol and, 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 and drugs and neglect and those sort of things. And we'll flirt with it. And we know inside of us there's a conscience and there's a conviction, but we're trying to convince ourselves, well, it's okay for me. Sin is serious. Jesus wouldn't be talking about millstones around neck thrown into the ocean if it wasn't serious. And the seriousness of it is because of the danger of it. Because of the warning that needs to be heard. Which leads us to number two. Number one, sin is serious. Why? Because number two, sin is wrong. And when you preach a heavy sermon, I can convince you that sin is serious. Jesus saying those things will convince you that sin is serious. But only, listen to me, only the grace of God will convince you of my second point, that sin is wrong. You'll sit here today, listen to me, and you'll leave and you'll go home and you'll have your Sunday lunch and you'll still be weighing on whether you believe me or not or whether you believe the Word of God or not that sin is wrong. It's so serious because it's so wrong. It is so serious because it's so wrong. Listen to me. Sin is against God. Sin is evil. Sin is not good. Sin is defiance. It is self-centered. It is certainly self-serving. It is against God. It is rebellion. It is disobedient to God. And sin has its consequences. Sin hurts you. Sometimes you can see that sin is hurting you, but sometimes you cannot see that sin is hurting you, and we need to trust God. If we didn't make our kids go to bed at a certain time, they would always, always stay up too late, would they not? And it's hard to see when you're a little kid why going to bed on time is so important. And the older you get, the more you get that. And in a very similar way, if God, our good Father, is telling us that something is wrong, it's not our position to say, well, well, I'm not so sure about that, God. It's not really bothering me. It's not really messing me up. No, sin is wrong, and we are to be believing God. Sometimes you can see that sin is hurting you, and sometimes you cannot see that sin is hurting you. It's wrong. Sinning with your hand, disobedience to God, is wrong. And Jesus says, if you will not turn from your sins, it would be better for you to cut it off and stop sinning. Your foot, your eye. If you're not going to stop sinning and turn to God for forgiveness, it would be better for you to do something about it and make yourself stop. I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with somebody who can't stop sinning with their computer and we've said, well, maybe you need to get rid of your computer. That's a tough question, isn't it? That's a tough situation to be in. How might you survive these days without your computer? Really, it wouldn't even be your computer anymore, but it would just be your smartphone. What would be better, to have a smartphone and go to hell, or to not have a smartphone and go to heaven? Seems to be a pretty easy question, right? But when we break it down, we don't often believe that it's that serious well in Jesus's mind it is it is it is it is that serious J.C. Ryle says one of my favorites says there's no mercy in keeping back from man the subject of hell fearful and tremendous as it is 
It ought to be pressed on all as one of the great truths of Christianity. Our loving Savior speaks frequently of hell. He says, but there is mercy for all who ask in Christ's name. So a, a preaching or a text like this that is, a, is about hell is not to be one that, that beats us down, but is to get one that, that wakes us up or even scares us into analyzing our sin and where we're at. And are we choosing the pleasures of sin rather than the forgiveness that comes through Christ? He says, but there is mercy for all who ask in Christ's name. He says, let us then boldly and unhesitatingly maintain that there is a hell and beseech men to flee from it before it be too late. It is not possible to say too much about Christ, but it is quite possible to say too little about hell. When you sin with your hand, do you think to turn to God and seek forgiveness? Or do you say things like, it's not that bad, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, everybody does it. It's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, there's worse things out there. There's worse than, people are worse than me, or I've done worse things. When you sin with your eye, is that how you comfort yourself? When you sin with your foot, is that how you comfort yourself? Or do you learn, do you look to Jesus? Do you run to Him? Are you, are you able to picture Jesus hanging on the cross. I remember when that movie, The Passion, came out and, uh, by Mel Gibson. And so many people would come to me and say, man, I just can't believe how awful it was. I was crying. You remember being in that situation. You know what made it that awful? You know what made it so ugly and awful? And by the way, it was acted out. Imagine real hate killing a real person. It would have been ugly. You know what made that scene in real life? Sin with our hands, sin with our eyes, sin with our feet. Sin is wrong. And Jesus, by the great love of God, went to the cross for us. And as Christ hung on the cross, God took our sins in the greatest work of love and mercy ever and put them on Jesus. And Jesus humbly and willingly took our sin and took our punishment for us that we would not face the wrath and punishment of God. That we could escape hell. It is that serious. One of the things we like to do as a a family is... Watch some game shows on TV. That's some good family time. Y'all can enjoy it, especially if your kids are getting older enough to where they can play. Like, we'll play Wheel of Fortune and see who can answer it first. And our, our kids are getting bigger, so they're starting to at least pick out some words and do a good job with it. And Jeopardy's fun if you can get any of the questions right. And one of the shows that Val and I like to watch is Family Feud, and uh, it, it, it cracks me up a lot. And sometimes the show gets a little bit dirty, so be careful and use some discernment with it. The other day we were watching and we, we let our oldest kids watch it with us and they were trying to figure it out and they didn't really get that we surveyed 100 people. Uh, they didn't really get all of that, but they were, we were watching Family Feud and the question came up. When you get to heaven, who is somebody that you don't want to be there so they won't bother you there? That was a question. And I knew this was going to have to be a teaching moment in our living room. And it started off with the kind of humorous stuff like a game show can do. It was my doctor, my dentist, my attorney, things like that. And they're just laughing it off. But then the girl that was there 
with her mom standing right beside her, said, my parents. And I kind of cringed, and Steve Harvey did too. He realized this was not good. Of course, they're all laughing. You know, you don't know if they really mean it or believe it or anything like that. It's just a game show. And then it got down to the very last question. They swung it over to the other team. They're trying to steal it. And the man speaks up and says, Steve, man, I got the, I got the perfect answer. Because we got five of them at home, he said. Our kids. And Steve Harvey stopped and he said, Y'all, this is terrible. He said, why do, we, why do we have this question? What are we doing? I just had a dad tell me he hopes he goes to heaven and hopes his kids aren't there. So I stopped the TV. I said, boys, this is awful. I said, why are they talking like that? And Eli spoke up and he said, they don't know what heaven is. And they don't know what hell is. They don't, guys. And that scenario and that story and that attitude and that posture and that comic relief and that, that whole scene is more normal than this hour right here, right? Those relationships and those conversations and that being jovial and that cut up and that don't take anything serious is way more normal than this little hour right here. Now, we know this isn't normal, but that is normal to the world. Folks, it's wrong. It is wrong. It is wrong. It is wrong. If you hope someone won't be in heaven, then you probably won't get there. If you think someone bothering you should keep them out of heaven, then you probably won't be there. If you're so self-centered as to entertain that thought, then you won't be there. And for the record, there will not be anything bothersome in heaven. And if you think so small of heaven as to think that way, then you probably won't be there. Now, sin is wrong It is wrong, it is wrong, it is wrong. Have you ever seen a picture where a mom or a dad is trying to do well and lead their kids and the kids are fighting back at them? You ever seen that before? It happens. And I know there are a thousand factors and variables that feed to that, and I'm not here to say that either one's right or wrong. But if you've ever seen a picture of that, every one of us, regardless of whether it was bad parenting or or bad kids or both or somewhere in between, every one of us have, have been able to take a step back and go, that's not good. That's not good. That's not good. And can I tell you here today, in all honesty, That when you and I are sinning against God, that's what it is. It's a good, loving Father in heaven that has His plan for us, who knows what is good for us, and we are going against Him. It is wrong. It is wrong. Sin is serious. Sin is wrong. Thirdly and finally... God forgives sin through faith in Jesus Christ. In this passage, Jesus has just hit us with some heaviness. 
Whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, it'd be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a millstone around your neck. And if your hand's causing you to sin, cut it off. Why go to hell with two hands? If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Why go to hell with two feet? And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Why go to hell with two eyes? In other words, do something about your sin. Do something about it. And the answer is not to try harder or to do better or obey more. It's not it. And as you've tried before, you know that that's not it. The answer is to look to Christ. Look to the Father of all mercies, the Bible says. Look to the One who in His great love for us sent His Son to die. Look to Jesus who took it for us. Notice that in these passages, Jesus is just not hammering hell. He's saying, why would you choose hell rather than heaven? Why would you do hell rather than enter into life? He is presenting it as that there are two options. To which commentator James Edwards said, and, and, and I know we use the word literally too often, we use it wrongly, but here he uses the word literally and he uses it so accurately that it caught me off guard. Listen to this. The choice is literally between God's kingdom and the fire that never goes Murder? Yeah, but Jesus didn't say murder. Adultery? Yeah, but Jesus didn't say adultery. He says it in other places. I'm just talking about it today. He's not saying just the big sins, if there even were categories of big sins. He says here, your hand. Your hand. You sinning with your hand gives you a literal choice between running to Jesus and asking Him for forgiveness or staying okay with it and therefore the fire that never goes out. If we will not turn away from our sins and ask God for forgiveness, believing that Jesus paid it all and took the punishment for us, we will not be saved. At the end of our passage, Jesus gets into all this salt talk, and he's talking about everyone will be salted with fire. We're going to be tested, in other words. Salt is good, but if, you've lost, if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? What Jesus is talking about here is that the mark of a believer, I said this last week and I said it during the middle of the week, the mark of the believer is not so much what they're saying about Jesus but is also in how they're responding to their sins in regards to Jesus. It does not make sense for us to say we believe in Christ and not deal with our sins. We must recognize our sins, look to Jesus, and say, God, forgive me. To ignore or neglect our sins to be wrong. When I was a senior in high school, I was going to hang out with some buddies. I think we were going up to the mall, and there may not be a worse time in my life of me thinking I was cool than being a senior in high school. It was horrible. My dad, it was like a Saturday, my dad was out in the garage working. I think he had to 
riding lawnmower upside down, and he was down there working, and it was a mess, and it was dirty, and it smelled like work in the garage. Y'all know what work smells like, right? It was one of those type of days, and I had, you know, come outside. I probably thought I was cool, and my friend pulled up in the driveway. He was going to drive, and he honked the horn, and so I come walking out. And as soon as I walked out, my dad said, hey, can you help me for a minute? I, gotta, I, gotta, I need your help right here. I said, I, I, don't, I don't think I can. I, he's here to get me. My dad said, you know, you can. You come over here and help me. I said, no, I don't think I can. He's waiting right there for me, Dad. I, I got to go. We're, we're heading out. He said, get over here and help me. So I went over there with a bad attitude. Y'all have seen teenage boys have bad attitude. I go over there with a bad attitude, and I'm trying to do this. And I think he was telling me to, like, push in the, the clutch or the brake or something. He's, he's saying push it in, and, and it takes more than one or two times. And he's like, I push it in. I push it in. I let it off. I push it in, push it in. All right, let it off. And so I'm doing that, and now I'm getting mad because my friend's over there waiting, self-centered as I could possibly be. And he says, I push it in. I said, Dad, I've got to go. He's waiting on me. You're telling me to do this, and I, I've got to go. He said, push it in. I push it in. All right, let it off. Dad, I've got to go. And finally he said, push it in again. And I got mad, and I, bam, pushed it. And it, like, rocked the whole thing and hit him a little bit. He set the mower down and bit my head off, chewed me good. You're going to the mall with your buddy, doing this, not doing anything, with money I probably gave you, this or that, this or that, this or that, and I'm here doing this, and I ask you to help me just one time. And you're going to have a bad attitude about it and can't even help me, whatever, with some stronger language than that. That was 20 years ago. And it still bothers me that I was that wrong to him. It still bothers me that my attitude was that ugly, that selfish, that bad, that rude. Jesus makes crystal clear in his word, even here in Mark chapter 9, that when you and I are okay with sinning with our hand or sinning with our eyes, Something small that the world doesn't even think is a problem. That we need to recognize that it's against God and his kingdom. And we need to turn to Jesus. There's not a sin or a sinner that's too far gone. That they can't run to the mercy of God. God's grace is sufficient for us in all of our weaknesses. In all of our low points. And in all of our failures. Hebrews 7 says that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. There is nobody that he won't accept. There is nobody that his blood can't cleanse. And there is nobody that his love is not for. Whoever would come to Christ will not be cast out. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will not be put to shame. Romans 10, 11. If you're here today and you want to be a follower of Jesus, confess your sins to Jesus Christ and be forgiven. Cry out to Him and He will save you. If we want to be a real church, if we want to be a real church, we will hear the Word of God and seek His forgiveness. He's a good, good Father. And we thank Him for that. Let's pray. Father.